will this morning take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. As you're turning, I'll just kind of give you a preview of what we are looking ahead to. We will spend the next uh, couple today and next Sunday in the Gospel of Luke. We'll take the rest of the month to focus on Christmas season. And then in January, uh, January 1st, we'll have a, a guest. And then in January, and maybe even into February, just depending how things go, we will have uh, take a doing a series on deacons. Um, the hope is, is that somewhere around right at the beginning of the new church year, next year we will uh, make some deacons. And so I want to walk through what the Bible says concerning deacons, their role, their qualifications, and their, and their duties. And so I want you to see that. And so we'll, we'll take a little break from Luke, but I want to spend uh, today and next week as we get close to closing out chapter um, 5. And so Luke chapter 17, if you will, chapter 5, verse 17, sorry, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Let's begin this morning. One day he was teaching... And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. And some men were carrying on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles which, with the stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks, who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven you or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Amen. Dear friends, Luke begins this portion of chapter 5, this text, with this common phrase that he uses not only in the Gospel of Luke, but similar phrases like it through Luke and also the book of Acts. One day he was teaching. It is a, a phrase that he uses to introduce to us a, a new event, one that is likely not chronological. It's, it's, it's probably does not fall within the chronological timeline of what we've been kind of seeing. And so we understand that Luke gives us this for, the, for a purpose. He wants to show us something. And we're going to begin to see a theme kind of over the next several chapters of this. Two new elements he is going to introduce to us. One, the forgiveness of sins. And two, the religious op opposition this will be the first time in Luke's gospel that we're going to see Jesus making the declaration, your sins have been forgiven you. And it will not be the last, amen? 
And then we are going to see today and then even next week the religious opposition. And sadly, this will not be the first nor the last. Matter of fact, we will see this all the way to the very end where the religious leaders will oppose Jesus. But in our text today, a paralytic, a a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus that he may be healed. Now, this is not surprising considering all that Christ has done, all the great miracles we've seen over the past several weeks and months. It's not surprising to us because we know who he is. We kind of had Christmas in the summer as we walked through Luke, or in the spring there as we kind of walked through Luke chapter 1, 2, and 3. And we saw the birth of Christ. We saw him being dedicated in the temple and all that. And so we know that, that he is the Son of God, but they themselves do not know this yet. And so it is not surprising to us that they would bring this man to Christ to receive a physical healing. But instead, he receives something greater. He receives the forgiveness of sin, which is something that only God can do. And it is something that is going to result in his persecution. It's going to result in the religious opposition, the religious leaders opposing him. This morning I've entitled the sermon, The Messiah and the Paralytic. I I want you to see this. I want you to see the big idea here that Jesus demonstrates that the Son of Man has the divine authority on earth to forgive sins by healing the lame man. I'll say that again. Jesus is going to demonstrate that he, the Son of Man, has the power to forgive sins by affirming it. Through the healing of this lame man. And my hope is, is as we kind of walk through this text, and there's a lot here, but, but we're going to kind of condense it as best we can. I, I, as we walk through this, my hope is, is that you would believe this, that you would see that Christ is our only hope, as we have sung this morning, that the Son of God can bring forth forgiveness of my sins, and not only that, He can bring forth the forgiveness of other people's sins. And so, therefore, I should commit my life to interceding for others. There are three main headings this morning that I want you to see. I want you to see the paralytic's condition, the friend's determination, and then, thirdly, we will see the Messiah's words. So so begin with me here in verse 12 with this paralyzed man. Let's look at his condition. Notice, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Since one day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. So we know that this is going about. Luke wants to set the stage. He wants us to know that there's just something going on there. Apparently there may have already been some healings. A lot is going on. And then we see verse 18. Some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Now I want to stop there. I find it interesting that the New American Standard leaves out a word that is clearly in in the Greek. Now, we saw it last time with the leper. It's in the ESV and other translations, but but in the Greek, it would read something more like, and behold. And if you remember from a few weeks ago that when we see that word, behold, he, he wants us to zoom in. He wants us to draw in and see something. And so Luke wants us to, to see this man on a stretcher and these four friends. And by four, you say, where do you get that in the text? Well, we see this in, in the three synoptic gospels. We see this in, in Luke and Matthew and Mark. And so Mark tells us it's four men that are carrying this guy on a stretcher to come and see Jesus. And Luke wants to draw our attention to this. There's something in, important here. 
Now, I want you to take for a moment and consider this man's condition, very much like we did with the leper. The Greek word is to weaken or to disable. It is in perfect tense, which means it is a permanent state. This this man's condition is not going to change. And if it does change, it is not going to change for the better, but it's only going to get worse. He is forever permanently disabled. He cannot walk. Now, for someone who knows this, as I have a father-in-law who is paralyzed... We can talk about two different things here. There is, he's a paraplegic, which is partial paralysis in both legs. So it's the lower half, he cannot walk. Or he is a quadriplegic, which is complete paralysis on all limbs. So it would be upper body things. And it could even go to the point that you do not have speech. Some scholars would believe that he is a quadriplegic to some degree because he is on a stretcher. That he's, it would seem and indicate to us by Luke that he is lying down. It's kind of an assumption that we would make. But what we do know is he has a serious condition in which this man cannot walk. He cannot get from point A to point B without someone bringing him there. Now, as I said, I have a father-in-law who who deals with this type of condition. As long as I've known him, he's been like this. I even remember the days uh, when Calvin and Atlanta would have their basketball games. The man who was in a wheelchair. This was before I knew Melanie. I just, you know, maybe God was preparing me for him or something, but I would run into him there and he would always be up against the the back of the concession stand. He had this wheelchair and he was there to see Melanie play basketball, you know, against Calvin and which we always be, now I'm not even going to lie, we never won. A few times we did back in my day, a few times we won, but not very many, but he was there to see, see Melanie and, and so, you know, watch her play and. And he had this cool wheelchair, and it'd make him stand up, and all of this. So I kind of got to meet him, but but then started dating Melanie, and, and now I'm I'm the favorite, you know, son-in-law. Let me not lie again. I'm sorry. I'm not go into all that, but 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 to be in the family and those types of things, and so I kind of I kind of have an understanding of this condition. You must know that physical paralysis can lead to many other problems. Matter of fact, some of the worst things that I've ever seen my father-in-law that, that has led almost to the point of losing him was bed sores. The fact that he cannot move and staying in one position. There is also great emotional frustration of the mind because the mind works, the emotions work, the desires work just like anyone else. But you cannot, your body cannot respond to your mind, to your emotions, and to your will, to, your, to the inner self. The outer man does not work, but the inner man does. And so therefore, there's this frustration because you are a prisoner of your own body. Now, thankfully, because of our day of wheelchairs and medical technology that you are able to, this is able to give them a life that is more comfortable and better, able to to do things. Some of the toys that he has are really neat. But in this day that we find this man, there's none of that. If you're paralyzed... I want you to think of it for just a moment. You cannot go anywhere. Unless someone carries you, unless someone brings you, you can go nowhere. No matter how hard you desire it. No matter how genuine you really are. And no matter how much you will it. Think about it. Your body cannot move. I want you to consider that for a moment. Jesus, who has the power to heal this man, is in town. And this man, he hears that Christ is there. 
And he knows, he has heard of the man who comes and brings great healing. And he says, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go to him. And he cannot get there. Just, just for a moment, just remove the four friends, if you will. I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I do think you and I must consider this. We must consider the inability to come to Christ. Sinful people cannot save themselves. There is no labor, there is no work, there, there, there's, no, no, there's no desire, there's no will. There is nothing that can, that can bring about the forgiveness of your sins and earn your salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Notice that word, under, the word under sin, that phrase. It means that man is under the natural uh, uh, power of sin. We are under the natural results of sin. Listen to what he continues, if you want to know what that looks like. In verse 10 he says, It is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is None who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, their teeth, uh, their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of serpents is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Does that not sound... Like the devastating results, a spiritual paralysis, a spiritual inability, the, the, the devastating results that, that we who, who want to do something, want to say, we, but we can't, we're not able to. Does this not, like, does not sound like a spiritual paralysis? I think too often we forget the spiritual condition of man. You wonder why people do what they do. You, re, you watch the media, you watch the news. You look at people in your own lives and you wonder and you think to yourself, why would so-and-so do that? Why can't they just be good? Why can't they just be wise and make good decisions? We believe that humanity has within them the ability to always do the right thing. But this is not the picture that the Scriptures paint for us. In fact, the Scriptures paint the, the picture of paralysis that you and I cannot get to heaven on our own. You are unable. You are a prisoner of your own sin. And you can will it and you can desire it and you can be as genuine as you want, but you will not get to heaven because of sin. Beloved, if there is ever going to be the forgiveness of our sins. I find it interesting that we see this. Jesus making this declaration to a man who is paralyzed. I, I find it interesting that, that if we are, it's just a beautiful picture of how salvation works. If we are ever going to find the forgiveness of sins, we better have an honest assessment of the human condition. The spiritual condition. 
This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their poor condition. You are spiritually poor. You are spiritually enabled. You have nothing to bring to God. If you are an unbeliever this morning, if you are living in unbelief and living in sin, please hear the words that... I have for you this morning, know that you cannot make it to heaven apart from the grace and mercy of God. You cannot make it to heaven apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot make it apart from the forgiveness of your sins by Christ. You can will it. You can desire it. You can be as genuine and loving and you can do all sorts of wonderful labors. But you will not make it to heaven. You are a prisoner of sin. And you need to recognize this and you need to bring and you need to let it bring you to despair and to brokenness that you may come, that you may repent of your sin. Oh, how I would pray this morning that you would see your condition. I would pray this morning that each and every one of us would examine our life, examine our thoughts and our actions. And we would do so by the word of God, by the Ten Commandments, by the Sermon on the Mount. These are wonderful places to start to see how bad the condition is, how sinful I really am. That if you want to know, if you wanted to do this, then, then go to the Word and look and see anger, lust, jealousy. And begin to realize the condition that you have and let it bring you to brokenness. But before we move on, I must also say to the believer this morning. I, I must say to the believer this morning that you and I must remember the grace of God that forgave us of our sins. Matter of fact, Peter writes to us in his epistle that many of us tend to become nearsighted. We become nearsighted having forgotten that, that he was cleansed from his former sins. We forgot the condition that we used to live in. You see, many of you have forgotten that you were once spiritually paralyzed. Many of you forgot your former life. And because you have forgotten your former life, you've become prideful and arrogant in your new life. Oh, beloved, we must never forget the condition that we were once in so that we may worship God fully and without hindrance and without pride, without arrogance. Worship Him in humility because we know what we were and we know what we have become. Amen? Oh, that you would worship God that way. But I want you to also see now the friend's determination. Look with me in verse 18. Again, there in Luke chapter 5, verse 18, which says that some men were carrying this man and he was paralyzed and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles with the stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, we need friends like this. And I would even suggest to you this morning that we need to be friends like this. One of the things that truly pops out, there's several, we could probably spend an entire sermon today just on what's going on, but for time's sake, I want you just to see the determination of these friends. I I want you to see that these guys are determined to get their buddy to Christ. They are devoted to the task. They are diligent to the task. They are earnest and serious. They're not going to stop. The crowd has blocked off Jesus right? uh, They were, look, they they were back row Baptists, you know, not because there were seats, you know, that were, you know, because they wanted to be, they were back row because they got there late. 
And so they could not get to Jesus. This is one of those things that they they wanted to get through. And so the the scripture tells us here that they were trying. And so the word means to seek. And so they're seeking. They're trying to get to the front. They're trying to get in the house. Some believe it may have been Peter's house. They're in Capernaum. And so they're trying to get there. And and then notice this. The wording uh, is in the imperfect tense, which means that it's continual. It means that it is repeated. It is without hindrance, without stop. So in other words, they were pushing through. They were seeking. They were trying to get through the crowd. If they couldn't go this way, they went that way. If they couldn't go that way, they tried again this way. They, they did everything they could to try to barge their way in, to get in there to Christ, and they could not find a way through the crowd. So they became creative and they went to the roof. Some would believe that there were steps leading up to the roof. And so they go to the roof and they start tearing up the house and they, they begin to tear open the roof and Man, they dropped this man directly in front of Christ. And Christ, when he sees their faith, and by the way, that word there, I kind of was looking for this this week, their, their faith, that, that would also include the, the fifth man, the man on the stretcher. So, so the four men and the fifth man, all of them having faith that this guy can heal this man. And they get there, they determined. Beloved, I must encourage you that as we seek the forgiveness of our sins, we must do it with all diligence and determination. Now, I want you to, be, I want you to, to, to hear what I'm about to say to you. That everything that I'm about to say does not contradict the previous point. That though we are incapable of saving ourselves, we must seek out the one who can save us. I am spiritually paralyzed and cannot you know, redeem and rectify and reconcile myself to God. I cannot do this, but there is one who can. And so with all diligence and with all determination, I must find my way to him. I, I must seek him. I must, I must come to him. And once we recognize our condition, once we come to the realization that I am sinful and that I am broken, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, that sometimes it's really good for us to hit that rock bottom. Amen. Because when you hit rock bottom, what do you do? You look for help. And this man who is at the very bottom diligently begins to find the one who can save him, who can heal him. I want you to listen to J.C. Ryle on this. He says, we must not allow the difficulties to check us and no obstacle to keep us back from anything which is really for our spiritual good. We must bear this in mind. The matter of regular, regularly reading the Bible, hearing the gospel, keeping the Sabbath holy, and private prayer. And he goes on to say this. Why is it that so many people take no pain in religion? How is it they can, they can never find time? pray, to read the Bible, to go to the worship service, and to hear the gospel. Yet, how is it that the very same men, full of zeal about money, about business, about pleasures and hobbies, about politics, about their family, their friends, will take no trouble about their souls. The answer to the question, J.C. says, is short and simple. These men are not earnest about their salvation. 
these men are not serious about their salvation. Don't be, hear me, you can't save yourself. But dear friends, you can run to the one who can save you. You can be earnest. You can be serious. You can look at the world and realize that I can gain the whole world and forfeit and lose my soul. And forsake it all and run to Jesus. You can run like you've never run before. And if you can't run, if you, if you can't get there on your own, you can look to a friend. You can look to somebody in your family and you can say, you have told me about this Jesus. You have told me about this one who has done this great work in you. Get me to him. Get me to him. I now see how bad I am. I now see my spiritual condition. Get me to the one who can heal me and save me and forgive me and reconcile me and redeem me. I need to get to this Jesus. You can go to the church. You can go to the pastor. You can go to the deacon. You can go to anyone in the church or you should be able to go to anyone in the church and say to them, why is it that you come to this place? Why is it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that you are here hearing about this Jesus? I want to know about Him. Jesus seeing their faith. Jesus seeing the unyielding determination of these five men resulted in his salvation of hearing the sweet words my friend your sins are forgiven you and you haven't seen that yet have you we've seen demon possession and we've seen leprosy and we've seen fever and in everyone we see healed you're healed you're healed but there's something about this one you want to know what's different They knew how bad they were. And they knew there was nothing they could do about it. So they sought out with unyielding determination. And beloved, let's just be honest. Some of you are just not serious about your salvation, are you? Some of you are more serious about your health and your wealth about your family and your friends. You're more serious about the culture and the politics of this world than you are about your salvation and the salvation of others. That you would run headlong into hell to save the country, to gain more money, to to make my family better, to to make my my health better. You would run into hell with a water pistol because you're earnest and you're serious about all these things. But your salvation? I'm just going to lay here for a little bit. I'm just going to lay here. He'll come back around. I've got time. Not these guys. Diligence and determination. I'm going to run to Christ. Oh, you say, Brother Brian, how do I run to Christ? Get up and get in the Word. Study the Word. Get in it weekly. Worship the Lord with your faith family. 
run headlong into the church and throw open the doors and be ready to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Oh, Father, Father, remind me of how bad I was. Remind me of my my spiritual paralysis. Remind me how you called me a friend. Remind me how you forgave me of my sins. Oh, brothers, sisters, find someone to teach you and to mentor you and disciple you. There are numerous ways to seek out Jesus. There are numerous ways to place yourself under the preaching and the, and the hearing of the gospel week after week after week. It is probably one of the most hardest things of a brother and sister in Christ to watch those that they love who are, more, who are just more determined in every other aspect of life than the salvation of our own souls. And I must note these friends, they did not, I must note these friends that they are a beautiful picture of intercession. Amen? The idea of intercession is the pleading, the standing in the gap. It's the pleading and begging on behalf of another one, which is exactly what these men are doing. They're seeking Christ to plead for him. And I love the fact they, they don't even have to plead. Isn't it amazing? They, they, they work so hard just to get him there. And they don't have to go, Jesus, can you heal him? No, he sees their faith. He sees. He knows how determined they are. Are you willing? Are you determined? Brothers and sisters, are you diligently seeking Christ for Christ to get others to Christ? I must ask you, are you interceding for someone else? If this Jesus can forgive sins, why are we not interceding for those that we love most? I can only imagine this paralyzed man being healed and taking out his bed and walking out and then coming across another paralyzed man. And grabbing him up and say, come on, come with me. Why? Because I was once like you. Oh, brothers and sisters, are you determined to see others come to salvation? A child, a spouse, a parent, a neighbor? I pray that you are. I pray that you are so determined that you will tear open the roof, that you will bust through the crowd, that you will be creative, and you will look and find ways when all other ways end. But I can tell you this. You can start praying for them. You can bring their souls. You can bring them spiritually to Christ, even if they don't know it. You can bring them to your home and you can demonstrate the love of Christ. You can carry them into the church to hear the preaching of the gospel. You can carry the gospel with your own words and tell them of their need of Jesus. And just in case you're discouraged this morning, because you've been doing this on your own and it's very exhausting, I know. It took four men to get this one man there. Mobilize your Sunday school class. Mobilize your brothers and your sisters in the faith. 
and begin to carry them. Because I'm going to tell you now, it's a whole lot easier for four men to carry one than one. And so can you imagine if 30, 40 of us, 50 of us began to begin to carry your loved ones to Christ? And so maybe you're not as diligent as you should be. Let me encourage you in this way. I am willing to bet. I am willing to almost guarantee that 90% of us in here or in some way carried to Christ in our own salvation. For some of you, it was your mother, your father praying for you, bringing you to church. For others, it may have been a stranger on the street or someone giving you a, a track, but they brought, they brought you to Jesus with the track. They came to you. For some, it may have been a missionary. It may have been a preacher who's come. But, but for most of us, I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to guarantee that many of us were carried to Jesus by somebody interceding on us. Oh, beloved, let us intercede for others. Because as we're about to see, This Jesus has the power and the authority not just to heal them, but to forgive them. Notice next that we see these words. Jesus says, he says, friend, notice the words of the Messiah. The friend, your sins are forgiven. No greater words can be heard by a sinner. For this is the hope of the sinful condition. Take notice that this this, uh, paralytic here did not come for forgiveness now now he came for healing he wanted a new pair of legs and instead jesus forgives this man of his sins something far greater than the ability to walk and you say well why did jesus do that why why did jesus forgive him of his sins and you know first why not why not give him what he asked for well matthew 8 18 verse 8 if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it from you it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire in other words it is better to limp into heaven than to run into hell who cares if the man came to have his legs fixed Jesus knows what he needs, and it's not new legs, because even with new legs, he could still go to hell. Jesus saw a faith that was so outstanding that he goes beyond the healing, he goes beyond the legs, and he gives him the forgiveness of sin. Beloved, paralysis was not this man's greatest need. His greatest need was to be forgiven of his sins, the greatest need of all men, physically fit or lame. But Jesus' words do not stop there, do they? Because look at verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. You see, a sinner loves to hear the words, friend, your sins are forgiven by Jesus, but the Pharisees hate these words. For they reason in their heart that only God can forgive sins. And you know what? They're right. They were right. 
Their problem in this text is not that they were wrong about God forgiving sin. We've already established that. No one can forgive sins. No one can get rid of their sin. Only God can do this. The problem was they thought he was just a man. The problem was they said, he says, who is this man that that forgives sins? These people had gotten the identity of Christ wrong. They who did not know God did not recognize God. And so notice how Jesus responds. He says, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. And so this was a a way of debate within the the, the rabbi circles. He uses what's called a counter question. He says, anyone can say your sins are forgiven and you'll never know. It's something that's invisible, something you can't see. He said, that's easy to do. He says, but let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is, is to tell a paralyzed man to get up and him get up and him walk. So he says, so just to let you know who I am, hey, brother, get up and walk. Get up and walk, and he does, that you may know. And so in this whole thing, there are two things that are taking place. Jesus is giving evidence of his, of his identity. You are reasoning in your heart that only God can forgive sins. You are correct, but you think I'm just a man. I am God. And secondly, if I am God on earth, then no that this man's sins have been forgiven. And by the way, it, it, it's in, the, uh, it's in, the, in uh, the perfect tense, which means it's permanently. Never to be unforgiven, never to be changed. His sins are forgiven once and for all. This man is redeemed. This man is saved. Why? Because I said so. Beloved, Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And I'm here today to tell you, for those of you who reason in your heart this morning, can he forgive my sin? Can he forgive the sins of those who are, that we see that are really bad? Can he forgive their sins? Can he, can he forgive the sins of the murderer? Can he forgive the sins of the, uh, you know, of the transgender? Can he forgive their sins? I have greater evidence this morning than just a paralyzed man getting up and walk. I have for you this morning the evidence of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who knew no sin, who goes to the cross of Calvary and lays his life down as a sacrifice for all who would come and repent and believe the worst of the worst of the worst. He lays his life down and he dies for their sins. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And that, my friends, is the greatest evidence to let me know that when Jesus says, my sins are forgiven, they are forgiven. I've got something greater than a man who was paralyzed. I got a man who was dead. Dead. And he got up in all power. Ephesians 1 7 in him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter 1 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the beauty of the gospel. It can make paralyzed people walk. But even better than that. It can bring forgiveness to your sins today. And maybe you came here seeking relief from something else. Some of you today probably came like this guy. You've got a physical illness and you just really need encouragement. So I'm going to go to church and ask for prayer in Sunday school. 
Some of you got financial problems and you've got health problems and you've got family problems and you've got friend problems and you've got, you've got grief over the loss of loved ones and you've got grief over sick. You've you got all kinds of outer problems. And you came today thinking, if I can go to church today, I'll feel better. I'm here today to tell you that Christ offers you something greater than relief from your outer physical problems. I'm here today to tell you that you can hear the words of Jesus Christ this morning who says to you, friend, your sins are forgiven. Let me encourage you to hear those words. Run to Christ today. Repent and turn from your sins. The, re, stop sitting where you are. The man had to turn away from laying there and get to Jesus and believe and confess, embrace that Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose in all victory. And I must add this. If you are a believer this morning who is living in sin, and maybe this morning you have committed a sin that you think that you cannot be forgiven of, you think you have a sin this morning that you think that there's no way, there's no way he's going to accept me. There's no way he's going to let this one go. I've done it this time. Don't forget what I said. This is in the perfect tense, which indicates permanence, divine forgiveness. It doesn't mean you get to continue in your sin. But it does mean that there is not a sin out there, beloved, that can change your salvation. You cannot be unforgiven. You cannot, be, you cannot lose your salvation. You, you cannot be cast out from Jesus. You, he doesn't turn you from friend to enemy. Because the cross dictates, the, the permanence of Christ and his eternality dictates that his forgiveness is eternal. Turn from your sin and come today to Jesus Christ. If you would close your eyes and, and just bow with me for just a moment.